Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondracek, head coach at Top Step Training, and I'm here with Marilyn. Hey guys, good to be here this afternoon. As always, you can find everything with me at mcc.coach. Happy to be here. Um, Marilyn, what's going on with you? Dude, I am so tired from triathlon training. <laughs> Kicking my ass. Like, what the hell? I haven't done this in so long, but it's awesome. And I started my team's December run challenge, which I've done for years. Well, I've made my team do for years. This is the <laughs> first year I'm actually participating in it. And last night I legit used returning your computer cord as a reason to run. I ran to your house, flashed a light in your window like a creeper, and then handed you a computer cord and ran home in the dark. So that's been kicking my ass too. I've, I haven't been quite this sore in quite some time. So how about you? Um, awesome. Good to hear. I, I also want to mention that when you showed up my house, it was like slightly cold last night, like a little bit raining and Marilyn was ready for a blizzard. She had on like, like two winter jackets. There was like steam billowing off of her because she was so hot 15 minutes into her run because she was ready for anything. And That's the- I, so I rocked up and I said, like, I was wearing your guys' cap actually, but I, I, I rocked up and I said, I'm a little overdressed, <laughs> a little overdressed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, people in Tucson panic when it's like under 60, like, whoa. Well, time to break out the winter gear. It is not even 60 degrees outside. Um, But yeah, no, it's good to see you running and congrats on actually participating in the run challenge. All right. Oh Um, my God. I am happy to say I'm a survivor of Disney World. Made it eight days there. Lived to tell the tale. And uh, yeah, that was my last week. Um, You know, didn't race Arizona. So the off season has been a little bit less enjoyable, but um, did get to see my daughter have a lot of fun in Disney World, and that was super cool to see. So you're like legit in off season now. You're when you just made the decision, no Ironman Arizona, off season, no training at all. I haven't seen you at the pool or anything. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been. I was basically sick for two weeks, and then I had to go to Prescott for Thanksgiving, and then like two days later, I went to Disney World for like. I mean, in all in all, it was like 10 days of being there. So I've been gone for like two weeks. So yeah, it's been almost like a month of really limited training, just with like the sickness and all the travel. And yeah, I haven't, it's, it was kind of a, an imposed off season of, of this length, which is, I mean, I've been like doing some running and stuff like that just to stay moving, but, but yeah, it's definitely been a little bit large, like more time off than maybe I would like to be taking but it's just kind of that's that's how it works sometimes so when we ride tomorrow i can definitely attack you yeah you can you can definitely tell well i'm also fresh because i haven't done anything so so you know you <laughs> i never get to kick jesse's ass on the bike at any point unless we're going downhill so tomorrow i'm going to attack the shit out of you the entire ride <laughs> all right well i'm going to bed right after this podcast i gotta rest <laughs> the ride um but we are joined by some very special guests. We have Dan and Jennifer with us. Uh, Jennifer, say hello. Hey, guys. So uh, first of all, congratulations, Jennifer. Why don't you tell us about your last uh, athletic endeavor? Thanks. Yeah, I just did um, 70.3 La Quinta yesterday, and the goal was a sub five hours. I did five hours in two minutes. So close. Um, and then, uh, but I got fifth on my age group. So it's my last time on that age group and it was a fun way to end out the 2020 season. Awesome. Congrats. Uh, 
Thanks. And hindsight, do you think you could find those two minutes somewhere? You know, I really don't. Like, I actually think that, like, I don't think there was two minutes. It wasn't like I was dilly-dallying. And, like, I really went for it on the run. Like, I knew I needed to run, and I just set out that pace. I just, like, around mile nine, I just slowly, I just didn't have it. I just, that was as fast as my legs would carry me. So, no, I'm really happy with it. It was really fun. Very cool. And why you tell us a little bit about um, your coaching company? Yeah, so I am a I do triathlon and mindset coaching with Finding Endurance, um, and I take a lot of new triathlons, uh, new triathletes. I take people who are interested in doing mindset work, either with racing or just with their life, um, and so I do coaching around that. Awesome, and we're also joined by Dan. Hola. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess tell us a little bit about yourself, Dan. What do you what do you uh, what do you do? Um, so. We have, we have a, you know, we're here to talk about our Pura Vida Cycling Challenge uh, project that, that Jennifer and I work on. My background is competitive swimming, um, was a collegiate swimmer at Xavier University, and with an Ecuadorian mom, actually swam on the Ecuadorian national swim team for a couple of years, did some international swimming, uh, won two bronze medals at the 1998 South American Games, which was a highlight for me, uh, finalist in the Pan American Games in 1999. That was in Winnipeg, Canada, also representing Ooh. Ecuador. Yeah. <laughs> Winnipeg, dude. Yeah. Uh, that was a really special time and, and really a highlight. That was kind of the end of my international swimming career. Um, but when I was done with swimming and Pan Am Games were over and I started working full time, I got into triathlon again, but I did race and triathlon in the 80s. Uh, 1989 was my first Olympic distance race in Columbus, Ohio. I snuck in as a 13 year old because you had to be 15 years old to race. So I just faked my birthday on the, on the entry form and got into the race. And I remember for two years, I had to race illegally because I wasn't 15 yet. But I remember in 1991, breathing a sigh of relief because I could finally race and not have to lie about my age. Um, so I've been doing triathlon since, um, since the eighties and, uh, my dad was an early adopter of triathlon. He was involved in the early 80s, you know, and, and Ironman just started in the late 70s. So by the early 80s, Iron, uh, tri the sport of triathlon was, was in its infancy. And I would go to watch my dad race at the Bud Light series of triathlons that went to a lot of urban cities around the U.S. with large prize purses. And you'd get to see Scott Tinley and, and Molina and Mark Allen and all these guys at these Olympic distance races um, so going as a kid to watch my dad race triathlons, I wanted to do my own triathlon and, and kind of embrace that as well. So that started as an early age, but I was really a, a club swimmer and a competitive swimmer for many years. Um, and then after that, after the, after the Pan Am games in 99, bought a bike and, and, uh, started training with some cyclists. I had the swim background and, and got back into the sport of triathlon and, and competed at uh, a professional level in 04 and 05. Um, did the escape from Alcatraz. Did the, I was a top amateur before I turned pro at the Chicago Mrs. T's. I think it was the Accenture triathlon at the time. Um, and that was in 2001. Uh, did some world champion, did a world championship race in Cancun. Um did another world championship race in Hawaii for Olympic distance. Olympic distance was really my, my event. That was my distance as a mid distance swimmer. I would do the 400 IM, the 200 IM, the 200 backstroke. So as a mid distance athlete, the Olympic distance really uh, set up to my strengths. So that was really, you know, from, from an athletic standpoint, that's uh, kind of a high level on my career. And then I lived in, born in, in Ecuador, excuse me, born in Peru to a Ecuadorian mom and a German Irish dad. 
I, I was, I came out, you know, embracing Hispanic culture and Latin American culture. First language was English, or excuse me, first language was, was Spanish. When I got back to the U.S. when I was five, I needed tutors to help learn English. So I had cousins in Ohio that would make fun of me because I was this Irish looking kid, fair skinned, um, that couldn't speak a lick of English and needed help kind of communicating with my own cousins in Ohio. So with that Hispanic background, I ended up living in Costa Rica for 10 years and it wasn't a huge culture shock for me, but um, I was embraced and, and really uh, saw that country on a bike, got to, got to train with locals, got to see this country, see this, this beautiful environment. And um, that's really where the vision for the Pura Vida Cycling Challenge came from. Um, which I know we'll talk about in a little more, more detail as well, but that's kind of my background and, and where I am today. So after that time, like in 05, when you were racing professionally, did you, did you keep racing triathlon? Are you still racing triathlon? Did you get it? Yeah, um, I did after maybe 06, I was racing, in the Midwest, back in the early 2000s, I would race from late May until maybe mid-September would be pushing it. But I remember there was a stretch of maybe 14 straight weekends where I would race 12 of them. So I almost felt like I was on tour. It was Chicago, then it was Detroit, then it was Louisville, then it was Pittsburgh, then it was Columbus, Ohio. But there was this circuit at the time where you could find a really competitive Olympic distance race um, all over the Midwest, driving distance. I was living in Cincinnati, Ohio at the time. There was races in Indianapolis, um, St. Louis, all these races that I could drive to. So I, from really 2000 to 2006, it was probably 12 races a summer, 10 to 12 races a summer. Um, and then when I moved to Costa Rica in 06, I still did some races, but the races down there weren't as organized. Um, they were more ITU style draft legal stuff, which to me wasn't to my strengths. So, and, and it was, it was fine with me. You know, I still trained all the time. I was still swimming. I was still running. I was still biking. When the events came up was a little bit less frequent. Um, you know, I was in my thirties running a business and still able to train. So that was enough for me, but I really made a connection with really high level cyclists in Costa Rica and my training, training with a, a group that at the time was called a con they were sponsored by economy rent a car. They were the economy rent a car team. Um, these guys were at the highest level and, and the ability to train with them and see the country and share the experiences with, with this team. And they just welcomed me in kind of as the crazy gringo that could, could hang with them. Um, so that, that part of my training, I, I really got serious about cycling. And I did a couple of multi-day stage races in Costa Rica in 2010 and in 2011. Um, these were four day races where it was three days of road and one day was time trial. Um, and I was on the podium in 2010, I was third. Um, and in 2011, I was fifth. And I was fifth by like three seconds from the podium. So I was still racing, still doing um, some triathlons down there. I also did some swim meets. I did some master's meets uh, to continue to compete. And I, I, at the time, I had some, some Costa Rican national master's swim records. I don't know if they still stand today, but um I'm, I'm active and I'm competitive. And if, if there's an event going on, I'll embrace it. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where I am today, but I'm always training. I'm always, I'm always ready to go. Awesome. So I guess, like you mentioned, we are here because you guys run a camp together and well, it's not even a camp, right? It is the, the Pura Vida challenge, right? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm curious to start there. Let's start with a name. Why? Uh, so I guess when I first heard of this, it sounds kind of like a camp structure, but it is actually kind of a challenge. And it sounds like the challenge from what I've heard from Maryland is actually completing every day, which is a, <laughs> exactly. which is a pretty cool way to structure a camp. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear about, I mean, just starting with the name and like how you made it a challenge. And it sounds like this has been kind of in the works for a long time. So I don't know if you guys can kind of tell me a little bit about, about the history of this. And I don't, I don't know if you want to start with the name or the history or if there's a, a good way for that to unfold for us. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty curious about that. Sure. And, and Jennifer, you can provide the, the color as needed as well. But um, let's start with Pura Vida. I mean, if anyone's ever visited Costa Rica, Pura Vida is a mantra. It, it directly translates to pure life, but it's used for hello. It's used for goodbye. It's good. It's used for a response to how are you doing? Like if someone says, como estas? The response is Pura Vida. How are you doing? The, the response is Pura Vida. It's like, I'm doing fine. Life is good. Um, but it's, it's really a mantra that encompasses really the attitudes of this country, uh, laid back, um, clean, safe, green. Um, so Pura Vida is this mantra of pure life that we wanted to embrace into this cycling camp or excuse me, cycling challenge. And it's a challenge because what we did is for the decade that I was riding down there, I had the experience to ride up some amazing, uh, do some amazing routes. I mean, these are like grand tour style uh, days of riding. And, you know, it's a challenge because the terrain is challenging. There is no flat land. When you go down and you ride with there with the locals, they'll tell you they're going arriba or abajo, which is you're going up or you're going down. Wherever you're standing, you're on some kind of an incline. So you're either going to be descending or you're going to be in your, your, you know, your 36 climbing with uh, high caves to try to get up to the top. So it's a challenge because I took Jennifer, when Jennifer came down the first time and we did 10 straight days of of riding, it was kind of like a preliminary, hey, is, how can we do this? How can we package this up? Is this marketable? Is this something we can do? We took the five, I I don't want to say most difficult, but most iconic routes that I had ridden down there for, for 10 years. Some of these routes, the locals won't even ride because of that challenging so, you know, our queen stage, which we call, which is called Sacramento, goes to this town, this little town up in a, in a volcano called Barba in the, the, the town of Sacramento. You compare it to something in Europe like um, uh, the Optuez, the, the infamous Optuez climb that they'll do on the Tour de France from time to time. You put the stats of Sacramento Barba up to Optuez, and it is every bit and more of what you would get in Europe on these iconic climbs that have been famous for, for centuries. Um, so to, to see, to, to experience these, this type of riding in a country like Costa Rica is just amazing. Um, when we talk to the locals about the specialness of these roads, this is all they know. So there is no relative standpoint to the locals. This is just how, this is what they ride. We in the U.S. could not build roads like some of the ones we ride on because of because of how challenging they are. They're just steep. Um, they're not impossible, but they're steep to get up. And that's re- that represents the challenge. But, you know, if you constructed a road like there is up to Sacramento Barba in the U.S., you'd have it, it, you couldn't do it. But with the climate down there, there's no snow, there's no ice, there's no you know, they get rain, but the inclement weather isn't tearing up the road. Um, so they can build these roads straight up the side of these mountains and just these amazing mountain passes and unbelievable rides. 
just iconic climbs. So completing each stage is a feat in and of itself and is the challenge. And that's kind of the, the way that the Pura Vida Cycling Challenge came about. Yeah, and Dan and I, we actually met, Dan ran a swim school that my daughter swam back. And I had an Ironman backpack. And so we connected that way and we started riding together. And then he shared his um, his vision for, for Costa Rica and what it was like and his experience there and wanted to know if I'd be interested. And so I went down, we rode those 10 days. My feedback actually was, you can't, you can't ride this many days in a row because um, I died. I was, I was like, it was, that was a lot, but I was a litmus test for, can I like, you know, can I competitive age group triathlete do these rides? Like what's the caliber of athlete you have to be to do this? Um, and the experience was great. And we came together, put our heads together. What were the best rides? And so it, it is set up like a camp. We have a base camp. Everything is catered. Um, we have really high caliber uh, cyclists that go with us. You have local cyclists that go on all of our rides together. We have pro local pro cyclists um, in Costa Rica, people who are well experienced. We have a whole community around us, as you would with camp. We have guides with us. But it's not so much a level of like coaching we provide as is we provide this experience for people to reach a different level in cycling and also a different level of connecting with the community. And so that's where the challenge is that it's more about this experience of each days, both within the routes themselves and with the people that we bring together. Uh, that really is the challenge. So it's a bit of camp, but it, it really speaks more to the bigger piece of it. Like, yes, your fitness will be leveled up. But in order to do that, you have to really dig within yourself to find these like, you know, different parts of your mindset or your athletic ability in a really supportive environment. Five for five days, not 10. <laughs> <laughs> Very clear with five. That sounds much more manageable. That's good. <laughs> that sounds awesome that you get uh, to ride with locals and really get kind of sounds like you get ingrained in the culture there, which is um, a fun thing to be able to do when you're riding in another country like that. And it's a hoot because these are these are people that Jennifer has now known for two, three years, people I've known for 15. And it is just the environment of the group and Marilyn's experienced it as well. It is so loose. It is so positive. It's so supportive. It's funny. There's jokes. Even if you don't speak the same language, there is a like a universal language of cycling that goes on in this Peloton. And we have English only speakers and we have Spanish only speakers and it kind of doesn't matter. Um, so it's a really, it's a very cool cultural experience that, that goes on in this Peloton every day. And, and that part of that shared experience and the Ticos, the locals will say, this is amazing for them. They're getting to have that cross cross-cultural experience as well as the, the locals, or excuse me, the, the, let's call them the gringos that are coming down with us to join their group and be their guest, there is definitely uh, a synergistic effect there of both both groups really working together and enjoying that experience. It's really special. They're also highly skilled cyclists. Some of the best group riding you'll ever see will be with this group. Very, very skilled. They know what they're doing. The group takes care of each other. It's a really safe environment when we're all together with the Ticos that even if when you're in a different country and there's traffic and there's cars with all those things that maybe you're not experienced with in the U.S. Our group is extremely safe and they do a really good job of keeping everybody within the group and kind of tight and riding very, very well together. That's what I will say of coming from the outside, my experience when I, you know, the first day we got there, of course, I had heard for a number of years about the iconic 
challenge of the actual routes. And that's what I had mentally prepared myself going to is, you know, I've traveled to a lot of different countries. I've ridden all over Europe, all over Southern hemisphere, you know, all over the Rockies in Canada and, and um, Colorado and Utah. And, you know, so I knew I had an idea about, you know, steep climbs, what I was in for. I have ridden across all of New Zealand, South and North Island. I knew what it was like to back up hard days of riding, long, long days, those kinds of things. So I, I had wrapped my head around, I knew what I was in for from that standpoint. What I, what I ended up experiencing was honestly, and have done a lot of camps and a lot of other things. It was more like what you're dialing in there is the, it was a life-changing experience with the community. So yeah, the roots were amazing. And we know we can experience that from, you know, like I say, a lot of different places in the world, whether you go over to Europe or, you know, obviously in Costa Rica, it's very special as far as it's, it's different terrain. I mean, those are some of the steepest climbs I've ever definitely ever seen, even in Colorado, some of those climbs like Magnolia Road and Top of Sugarloaf and stuff. I mean, this was just really, really great climbs. But most importantly, you know, I will say that first day when we were standing on the corner and I've ridden with a lot of big group rides all over the world and I'm used to a big group coming up and all being locals. And I thought in my head, I was like, okay, what's this going to be all about? Because you've experienced a lot of different things in different countries and the way different countries handle group rides. And I will say that this group in particular, I, whether you were like you say, a pro level rider, there were people who were at that level to ride with you and challenge you that made you made it fun. Or right down to, I mean, I hadn't really ridden much for about three months and had been sick. And I thought, man, I even wore mountain bike shoes in case I was going to have to walk up some of the climbs. I was in such bad shape. And everybody was, you just felt part of a really, really great group of people that were happy to look after you and just really happy to see you there. And I mean, I've ridden in Thailand, Philippines, all these places where traffic is crazy and going through towns is crazy and been like scared out of my wits. And I never, I never felt that way in Costa Rica. It was like, just follow this group. They absolutely have your back and there and everything felt smooth, safe, fun from the music, the chatter, the encouragement the, you know, the challenge of the climb, a little coaching, like the local guys um, coaching you through the climb, you know, the camaraderie between like a few competitions and that kind of stuff. So I will say after like, this is 24 years, the first camp I ever did was in like 1999 in Penticton with a big group of people. This is like really, really special and really memorable from that standpoint. And, and that group in particular, because you can take roads and make them challenging anywhere, but creating an environment with a group of people and making those roads even that much more special is what is what is someone like would be like, yeah, I, you know, as soon as we left, I was like, I'm coming back, you know, like that was just, it was just really, really cool. So sorry to jump in there, but I just, I had to say that when you're talking about the community. For sure. Well, that was a, uh, an excellent review. Thanks, Marilyn. I <laughs> appreciated that. Yeah. And, and Marilyn, um, just a comment on that. You speak a little bit of Spanish and have a few words here and there, but this universal yeah. cycling language, you are communicating with the crew basically the whole time. I speak, no, Dan, I don't speak any Spanish. I say hola. <laughs> that's it. That's it. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea what I'm saying. 
<laughs> but they, you did, you couldn't, you know, and they spoke enough English and there was, uh-huh. yeah, I mean, I think there is something about just being out on bikes and like-minded people. You mm-hmm. really just end up friends at the end and communicating in ways that you think, well, I have, I have really no idea what this person is saying to me, but we really did actually know what each other were saying. Uh-huh. Like the best day was when Luis, like I, he was one of the top pro cyclist guy on the really long day. And I was dead coming into town and he was trying so hard to help me come back. And all I kept saying was no more power. <laughs> <laughs> and he would just wait up for me and tell me back in uh-huh. no more power. <laughs> I'm laughing. That was great. But it's really part of that whole Pura Vida culture of this group. It's, there is no agenda. They are there to help. They're here to make, they're there to make the experience as pleasant as possible, as enjoyable as possible. Um, They're there for one another and we're all part of that same group. So that's really, it's, that's not the exception. That is really what happens every day within this Peloton on these, on these very, on these five very special stages. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's another part of this whole trip that actually it it in particular moved me. I think that the longer you do sports or even when you first get into it, it's always nice to be part of something bigger than our lives over here. We're, you know, we're, we live pretty blessed lives over here in, in North America and to go there and take the donations down that you do and actually be welcomed into Noel's home and his bunker where they all really, I mean, like you said, that one bike that was donated, it impacted, you know, the more experienced older cyclist. And then the next kid got his bike. And then the next kid got that kid's bike. Mm -hmm. But even just, I mean, you guys took down donations as far as clothes and equipment that was, probably what, like $10,000, $15,000 worth of stuff, if not more. And their, their faces, I, I heard, you know, I heard some of them say like, we haven't been able to replace our cleats in two years. We haven't, we ride tubes that have eight patches on them. You know, uh-huh. they have the same tires for, for years. Meanwhile, here we have a tiny little bald spot in our tires and we run off to the shop and get a new one, you know, or our cleats have a tiny little rock and we, we go and get it fixed right away. So you know, being, I remember when we, you did the donation day in the bunker and we're sitting in, in this person's house that dedicates himself to cycling and making pit kids and people's better lives better. And it's in his own home and there's all these donations and it's really making, helping kids make better choices in their lives and giving them direction and, and people and adults and then being a part of that and seeing the appreciation their faces when they get all of this stuff just being a part of something bigger than that I think that that afternoon alone and you're literally sitting around eating pizza having a few drinks you've all ridden together that day and then seeing the impact that that has I mean that I, I literally, there was like a couple points where I had to try and like not cry because it just mm-hmm. felt really, really special. And that's something bigger than us over here where we, you know, we, for, it's easy to forget that because we're so privileged and everything is right at our fingertips whenever we want. And that's a good reminder. Like, that's just a good gut check to also be a part of that and feel like, oh, this is, this is bigger than, than just what we do every day or what we do can have a bigger impact. Sure. And it really started when I when I moved back to the U.S. and I went to visit a few times a year to ride with my friends down there coming from the U.S. I just put feelers out because I knew that my my crew down there 
was one broken chain away or one broken derailleur away from not being able to ride. So just asking friends here the first few years, uh, if they had any extra stuff, I got so many boxes full of jerseys and components and computers, uh, sunglasses, all kinds of cycling gear, just from a small group that, that I ride with here, the Bruce brothers, they're, they're a group that I ride with on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings. Um, their commitment and their contributions to just me taking down boxes of stuff. This was before there was any kind of formal event. Um, it was mind blowing how much gear we really have, um, that, we don't use, or we've upgraded our components, our group set on our bikes, and that the used group set is going to be thrown away. That stuff that still has some um, some usable life to it makes a huge difference in a community like this. So, you know, going down there with four tubs full of gear just once a year or twice a year um, turned into what is now the the charity component of the Pura Vida Cycling Challenge, where our athletes bring down uh, used gear. Sometimes it's new gear. Sometimes it's a full bike, but you know, we've had athletes from uh, Wisconsin and California and elsewhere that they just reach out to their local community before you know it from here in Phoenix as well. Um, they have boxes full of gear and you know, that, that contribution, the ability to bring that gear down, get it to people in need. And you mentioned the bunker, that's kind of like the cycling clubhouse. That's, that's the hub in, in, in the town of Tambor, where our, our group is based out of, they have their own little shop there, very artisan bike shop, but they have all the tools. They have kind of a homemade bike stand. So, you know, a saddle comes down and someone just broke their saddle rails a week ago. They're putting that new saddle on right away and they're riding it the next day. I mean, it's really cool to see a new stem get put on, a new chain get put on, a new cassette, all that stuff that we bring down that, that still has usable life to it. It gets put to use immediately. And the other thing to consider is that is the, the bunker is is really ground zero for that cycling community, not just even for the people that we ride with, but there are a lot of people engaged in that community that use a bike as a means to commute to and from work. So in a place like Costa Rica, not everyone owns a car and a bicycle is used as a mean, a means of um, economic development, the ability to get to and from work we can take for granted, but if you if your rim is cracked, if your frame is cracked, if if your bike is not functioning, these you know the stuff that we bring down even gives gives some of these people the ability to get to and from work and make sure they can provide for their family and um and, and manage that economic opportunity that they have. But it's just keeping cyclists on the road, whether they're competitive or whether they're using a bike to get to and from work or to get to the grocery store, all of that stuff matters. And it's, it's a really special part of what the Pura Vida cycling challenge represents. Has that been a part of the challenge from the beginning? It has yeah. um, because it was really a part of it before there was even a challenge, it, just bringing stuff down there. It was always, that was always part of what I did. If I just grabbed a friend or two to come down with me, we would have that pizza party and, and kind of giveaway before it was before it was the Pura Vida cycling challenge. Jennifer experienced the first time we went down. I mean, there was boxes of stuff before it was even a formal event. Um, so we just figured out, okay, how are we going to do it? How does it work? Um, Howell, who is really the leader of this crew, he's the one that's that's in charge of distributing the stuff because not all of it gets distributed on the day that we do this charitable giveaway. So if some riders can't make it that day, that bunker is used as kind of a depot for local for the local community there to grab stuff that they need and and Howell manages that whole thing so 
it's uh, it has been special. And, and Marilyn's comments about how that's a part of giving back and that's a certain level of connectivity with that community that you might not get elsewhere. It's it's a really special part of of the entire event. That's awesome. Yeah, that sounds super cool. That's that's great. You guys include that, and you have included that even when you were just going down there um, for trips. So yeah, that's that make that sounds super very special. Um, one thing I, I was meaning to ask when you're talking more about the routes is, you know, that that sounds like it could be kind of intimidating for people as well. Do you have any like route maps or elevation profiles or anything like that on, on your website that people can check out if they're scared? We do. We have them. We have everything on Strava. So you can look at it. We also have like the GPX files they want to see. And what I will say is the numbers, numbers are numbers, right? Like it's kind of hard to really like, I, I have, I had clients see things before too. It's not, you know, like I had, and I was prepared and I talked with Dan and like, I was ready for it, but you're not like totally ready for it until like you actually see the road and you like start laughing because like, oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> We're going to ride bikes up this thing, you know, like when you see a 20%, it's a little different. Um, but what I will say is whenever we use the word, like the numbers of grades, people get really scared. And they, a lot of people may like, think, well, I can't do that. Or I've never done that before. That's too steep. That's not possible. And I think every, we've had people who hadn't been a bike in a while we've had we have a like a large range of fitness abilities and everybody's been able to do the rides with the right gears but you bring the right bike you have the right gears and you decide you're going to climb it you're not going to stop you can get up it um and we have support so we have sad that comes with us we have highly skilled cyclists that are helping people out um, and we've seen a lot of people we have robin who's now gone twice as a yoga instructor she doesn't do competitive cycling she doesn't race she lives in not a single hill where she lives. She lives in Wisconsin and she trained on Zwift and she did long rides and she had what, like a 36 on the back and she just spun her way up, you know, didn't stop, just kept going, kept going, kept going. And she made it. So, you know, I think it, it does sound intimidating. These are challenging routes, but they are doable if you have the fitness and the gears. And that's kind of the message is that like, it's, we're not saying it's going to be easy. It's hundred percent not going to be easy, but it's not impossible. Um, and I think that's the beauty of it is that it's challenging for everybody. I mean, we have pro triathletes that come and it's challenging for them because they'll race up the thing. It's a hundred percent challenging for me. It was challenging for Marilyn who has a huge, you know, cycling ability. It's as hard as you want it to be, but it is possible to make up all the routes. And that's, that's what makes it so awesome. Yeah. We really uh, boil it down to gearing and attitude. If you have the right gears and you have a smile on your face, you will make it every day. Um, you know, we've had athletes that can just grind and they, they get in their rhythm, they find their cadence and they're smiling and having a good time. It's also not a race. So athletes will stop to take uh, photos or stop to get a drink or a bite to eat out of the SAG vehicle. Um, and that's fine as well. So everyone, there are no drop rides. You always have support. Someone's always with riders, whether at the, they're at the front or towards the back, that there's that community that supports each other up. I even remember frequently at the very top of the hardest day, there's like one final turn and you're just, you've wasted yourself and you're just cresting up to the top of the queen stage. And some of the local Ticos set up a little shop right there, like a little cheering section of cheering up the, the people that are coming up in the, in the middle of the pack and, and, and behind. And it makes it feel like you've accomplished something and like you're at the end of this epic day and um, it's really special to see the amount of support that's there, but it isn't a race. It is, it's about the experience. Um, as, as Jennifer said, we've had, um, more 
uh, recreational riders and we've had more racers that have come down and both have done very, very well in all five, all five stages. And, and that's why the community is so great it's because we have such a high level of skills on the top end. So we have people who, who do, who do race it, who want to race the clients because they, because it feels like fun that day. As in a camp, you get a bunch of really talented guys together. You guys will all race the climbs, but that doesn't make it any less fun for the people who are just grinding to get up there because we have groups that are with them too. So you can really make the days if you want to make them because we have a community that can sport the very highest, like, you know, the fastest cyclists to people who are there, just the challenges to get up for the day. So everyone kind of make their experience what they want to make it. And I'll tell you something else that's really, really cool is Jennifer's involvement has really influenced women in the local community there, the Tikas, the, the women riders that ride with us, because there aren't a lot of women that pre before Jennifer came down and started riding with this group, felt um, confident or comfortable enough to try to tackle some of these routes. But as Jennifer has come down over the years and she has done amazing on all five of these days, now women are coming out and embracing this sport and saying, oh, I want to be part of it. Jennifer's doing it. Jennifer showed me it can be done. Um, she's kind of paved a way for local women cyclists to embrace this, to come out. Um, and it's been really, really cool to see. We have some of the some of the local women are part of every every single challenge. Um, we have one, uh, Elizabeth Ellie. She has really looked up to Jennifer as far as you know, Jennifer being fit and strong and able to do these rides. Ellie is like training hard to try to keep up with Jennifer every time that Jennifer comes down and Ellie is embracing this sport. Ellie is a mom with a, a very young son and a toddler under two. And she's getting on that bike and getting after it and building fitness and building, building mental strength and everything that comes from what sport gives you back. And Jennifer has paved the way to really open that door for local women uh, to join us. And the, it feels like every time we go down, there's more and more women in our Peloton, which is very cool to see. Man, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I will say with the roots, there was, when I was there, um, every, you did a great job as well as saying like, you can do as many of the days as you want, or if you want to sit one out to recover, there was options because that home base that you have created there is you do such a nice job, you know, like you come in and there's fresh squeezed orange juice and you can rack your bike right away. And then you go and get cleaned up and then there's food there right away. And so like you're, you can recover really well and everything is just like right there. It's really nicely catered. You could get your laundry done whenever you wanted. Like, it was just like such a nice treat, but every day I was like, okay, I would go to bed saying, I'm going to give myself the option to not go tomorrow. <laughs> and then I would say, I can't be all the way in Costa Rica and not go do this ride. And so I would be like, I am absolutely screwed, tired, but I am going to go because I want to see this ride. And I could get, I could do them. So like that element of you saying that, you know, might feel daunting or feel like, oh, I can I do this many hard rides this many days in a row? I certainly every day, every night I went to bed going, well, tomorrow it'll be OK if I take a day off. And then I would wake up and go, there's no way I'm not going. And we would roll out and go up that first kicker. And I would, oh, <laughs> and it would get better. But yeah, so it is, you know, even if you think you possibly, I mean, and then, you know, Robin did take one day off. She enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. She toured around a little bit and then she came and kicked ass the next day. So there's lots of options as well. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I've heard stories about this kicker. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. A, there's, I think there's there's no way around like a, what is it, like an 18%, a couple 18% from the first five minutes, like because where the hotel is, you just, it's just a little, a little preview. <laughs> it's just the topography of the country. Like as you see more and more of the country, every, if you're not on the coast, it's mountainous and it's just, it's yeah. aggressive topography. There is no escaping it. Um, and it's so funny because Jennifer calls all these the climb before the climb, because we always have this like one feature climb of the day and it's got all the data behind it and everything else. But, you know, I even heard from Maryland. It's like everything other than that is all the hard stuff. Well, we go Maryland, I go Maryland, there's a, there's 25 miles of rollers and the rollers are like, you know, 15, 80% grades to descend. Like, these are not rollers. Like, <laughs> FYI. We, I was like, when's the featured climb? Because we have been climbing <laughs> the second we clipped in. <laughs> I was like, finally, I was just like, I don't know. This, they're all, all I'm just climbing. I'm climbing or I'm at a bakery and uh-huh. I'm, either one is fine. <laughs> awesome. Um, all right, let's get to some brass tacks. So how long have you guys been doing this together as like a camp? Two years. Awesome. And yeah. by the sounds of things, this is not just a once a year opportunity that you guys have put this together. It is not. We go three times a year. So our next one coming up is January. We're going to go the 13th, the 19th. Then we do one in May. And this year it will be the 5th to the 11th. And then September will be the six, uh, first to the 6th. So we do three times a year. It's always, we start, we ride on a Saturday and then we last days on a Wednesday. So a lot of people will come in that Friday or Thursday and they'll leave the following week. Um, so that's, that's always how we go. And the routes are the same. We do the same um, sequencing of that. Um, we're really, it's, uh, yeah, but it's, you know, it's different. And then times you're mostly the weather's pretty much the same. January seems to be dry season a little bit could get a little bit of wetness in the afternoons, but it's usually quite dry when we ride. Um, so even if you look at the forecast and it says raining every day, it's actually not true. <laughs> yeah. And when, when Maryland was down there in September, it's the rainy season. We had some rain on the first day um, in the morning. Other than that, we were dry basically the whole time yeah. we rode those next four days. Um, and the other thing I'll say, as you mentioned those dates, Jennifer, the January trip overlaps with Martin Luther King Day, which is typically mm-hmm. a holiday on that Monday. Our September trip overlaps Labor Day. So that Monday is also a holiday. So we try to coordinate that to, to be as conducive as possible for, for traveling and, and, and time off of work. Yep. And we're really close to the airport. So we take care of airport pickup and transfer. We take care of um, most meals. As you can see, our meals are quite large. And so a lot of people don't feel they need to have too much more than what we provide. And so once you're in country, everything's taken care of more or less. And there's also lots of cool things to see and do if people want to do it in the afternoon. We find that most people would rather just sit in the beautiful, everybody has an individual casita where we stay. It's really lovely. And we end up usually just all sitting around hanging out and chatting with each other um, for the afternoons, but there's the options as well to go sightseeing. And these, these casitas are in the rainforest. It's in a, the property is, is beautiful. I mean, it's all kinds of uh, tropical trees and tropical birds. And there's a personality to this, to this rainforest lodge that has some humor to it um, from the owners who are fantastic people uh, so the, the lodges where we stay are, are really, it's an incredible property. It helps you connect to that Pura Vida spirit. 
Um, you can stretch in the afternoon on the lawn. Um, you can take walks through the property and just kind of look through all the, all of the different, it's kind of, it's almost like a Costa Rican history lesson as far as what are you looking at? What are these plants? What are these birds? Um, so that's, it's, it's a really cool, it's a really cool place to stay. And then we have this group of colorful, colorful, um, support characters that come in and out every day, whether it's Norman who's bringing the food, um, Maureen and and uh, Mauricio, who are, are driving a support vehicle. One of my friends down there, Colum uh, Colombian Alex, who helps drive one of the support vehicles as well. We have these people that really help support all of our each each day, whether it's food or SAG support, whatever the case might be, a run to the bike shop. That these colorful characters that come in with their personalities and really add a flavor to the to the group is really fun as well. That sounds like fun. You have me kind of sold here. I uh... <laughs> and and we have, there's a 50 meter outside pool not too far away um, as other mm -hmm. options. And then we'll actually there's a really pretty good decent running rack that's right outside the, the hotel. That's like sort of flat, kind of like it's not. <laughs> Only <laughs> like a few 18 percent pitches it's on a there. Little, like it's you know as flat as you can get in the area. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that sounds great. Well, I really appreciate you guys sharing all that information about your camp with us. And then you said you do have a camp website with information on that? Yep, pervitacyclingchallenge.com and it has all the stages and it has the breakdown of the percentages and the, the maps even so you can really get a feel for the future climbs and what we do and the mileage. Um, I will say the mileage doesn't look, you know, and, you know, as, as Marilyn will attest, 50 miles is not actually 50 miles by heel <laughs> and efforts. <laughs> Maybe by, by, you know, by uh, right, actual distance, um, but we have the, everything mapped out there with photos and videos um, and testimonies and stuff like that. And I'd also like to comment on just a little bit of, of safety. A lot of people have visited Costa Rica over the last 15, 20 years. They know it, whether it's a beach town, Tamarindo, or they've been to Manuel Antonio, or they've taken uh, a tour in the jungle and done zip lining in, in Arenal and La Fortuna. The infrastructure of Costa Rica, especially over the last 10 years, has improved tremendously. And that goes to even some of the roads. Like some people comment, they've been down there and the roads look horrible. The roads used to be bad. They used to be much worse than they are today. Some of the routes, one of our, uh, one of our days, day three, which, we, which is Lourdes, it goes up to this town of Lourdes. The road that we ride on four or five years ago was a dirt road. And has recently been paved because there is a commitment to improving the infrastructure. There's now newly paved roads. But I think the experience of the roads that we ride on, the safety of how our Peloton engages with traffic, uh, with signals, and there's this communication that's going on between Peloton and truck behind us of the truck waits, the Peloton waves them through. There's, there's a lot of communication between the motorists and cyclists there that, that makes it very safe. And the the concerns about quality of road, the roads that we ride on, are there some potholes? Yes. Sometimes is there a tight shoulder? Yes. But from a safety standpoint, I think it's, um, I think it's absolutely a, a safe place to ride from a, a standpoint of traffic and quality of roads. And I know that Jennifer and Marilyn have experienced it as well. And, and it's totally doable. I have a question for both of you. Just a sort of a one, I don't know, one sentence answer. If you had your ideal, absolute ideal athlete that you would come to your challenge, what would that person look like? I can give it two words. Yeah. Uh, 
positive, uh, maybe three words, positivity, fitness, um, and cultural compatibility or, or, uh, looking for a cultural experience. If you're positive and you're fit and you're willing to embrace this new place and these new rides and these new people, I, I think that's what it's all about. That's awesome. Yeah. I would say somebody who's adventurous and wants to be uncomfortable. You know, that's the beauty of this. I think we really combine like international travel. If you traveled abroad before, you know, you're going to be out of your comfort zone and that's probably why you want to do it. Um, and if you're a cyclist, you're probably looking for some kind of adventure. If you want to go down and ride routes you've never experienced before. And frankly, routes that other tourists are not seeing the towns that we see. They're not seeing the views that we see on the bike at the top of Lourdes, at the top of Palmares. Um, we are going on a very uh, authentic Costa Rican adventure every day. And it's little fruit stands, it's drinking out of coconuts, it's going to my favorite bakeries, uh, favorite little artisan mountain towns, but they aren't places that you're going to see in, in Costa Rican guidebooks or, or reviews on the web. We are going to to small, authentic Costa Rican places, and it and that it's there's a charm to that for sure. Cool, awesome. Well, yeah. Again, I really appreciate you guys coming on and and telling us a little bit about that. And I'll make sure to put the website and everything in the show notes so people can can check it out more if they're interested. Um, yeah, that'd be fantastic. You know, we have. The website is Pura Vida Cycling Challenge and Jennifer manages all of our social media and she does a great job with that. So people can find us on social media as well. Um, but yeah, we'd, we'd love for any of your athletes to, to reach out with questions or comments. Uh, we'd be happy to, to share any information that's, that's relevant. And as I can attest in Maryland can, five days of riding in Costa Rica really levels up your cycling game. I mean, it's been I've done it now. I did it three times this year and I did it what six, six weeks before Kona. It's a huge, I mean, it's a huge bump in fitness. Um, so going and thinking about your season, going into January, looking at your races for the year, that May and September is a really great way to either go into summer races or kick off your fall season. Five days really, it really levels up what you can do on a bike for a while. Yep. And I'll be there in January joining you guys again. So I'm excited about that. And um, eventually we'll get Jesse down there too. Yeah, Jesse, you gotta come down, man. Although he's pretty damn good uphill. I don't know if we want to do that. Oh, you, I think you'd have you'd have a lot of fun. It'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds amazing. I I I hope I get a chance to come sooner rather than later because yeah, I, I'm gonna come no matter what. It just depends on how long it takes me to get down there. Right on. You're welcome anytime. Thank you so much, you guys. That's been a really fun conversation. And um, I think what you're doing is really great. So we'll hopefully spread the word and get more people down there. It's uh, it's really cool. And I appreciate you sharing it with me. Thanks, Marilyn. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you. All right. Thank you guys very much.